This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Quiet the fear in your body before it hijacks your mind, all while restoring resilience and vitality. Anxiety is a modern epidemic, and unfortunately, it just seems to be getting worse. If you're one of the millions of people who suffer from anxiety, you probably already know that trying to control your anxious thoughts and worries won't work. That's because fear doesn't begin with your thoughts. It begins in the body. So how can you calm your body so your mind will follow? Written by a psychologist and Reiki practitioner, and based on cutting-edge research, this book shines a much-needed spotlight on the role our bodies play in generating and perpetuating anxiety. Using the SOAR model, sense, observe, articulate, reflect, you'll learn to connect more deeply with your body, observe your senses, and articulate and reflect on what you observe. By shifting your attention to bodily sensations, you'll actually reduce activity in the fear-generating parts of your brain. You'll also find some simple body-based exercises that allow you to cultivate insight into your anxiety response so that you can strengthen your relationship with your body and over time, cultivate a lasting regulated response to the various anxiety triggers in your environment. Give yourself the gift of mindful body awareness. It has the power to ease the suffering that comes with chronic anxiety and it will help you connect with a deeper sense of self so you can pursue the pleasures and passions of a truly authentic life. Valeria Tellis interviews Dr. Michelle L. Bloom, the author of Mindful Somatic Awareness for Anxiety Relief, a body-based approach to moving beyond fear and worry. Dr. Michelle L. Bloom, PSYD SEP, is a licensed clinical psychologist, somatic experiencing practitioner, SEP, and certified Reiki practitioner, she is also trained in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR therapy. Her work focuses on mind-body integration to heal developmental trauma. Bloom works in private practice in Redondo Beach, California. To learn more about her, visit www.drmichellebloom.com. Meet Dr. Michelle Bloom at drmichellebloom.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Michelle Bloom. In your own words, who is Dr. Michelle L. Bloom? Oh, <laughs> straight out of the gate. Right. Um, let's see, who is Dr. Michelle L. Bloom? I suppose it's a, it's a difficult question to answer simply because it feels impossible to capture who I am and you know, three to four sentences. Uh, but I suppose the best way to answer that question for me right now uh, would be the part of me anyway that's reflective of the whole um, that's in this conversation with you. And that is someone who um, believes deeply in the power of healing and in the work that I do to um, help others move through the fear, the emotional pain that they hold in their bodies and that holds them back in their lives. And um, I believe in the ability of the wisdom of the body and the spirit to, to move through that, to heal and to essentially live in alignment with who they truly authentically are and to create the life that they envision for themselves. That really is the fullest expression of, of their, their highest truest self. I believe very, very strongly in that. And um, part of my work as a human being oh. is to promote that. 
what is healing to you and how is to cure different from to heal? Oh, that's interesting. I've never thought really about the, the difference. I think uh, to me, healing, um, healing, the way that I think of healing, at least um, I, get, I think concisely is it's a process of of awareness, of release, and of integration, this sort of cycle, at least in the work that I do. Um, perhaps it's different for a heart surgeon <laughs> and, and there would be a cure there. Um, but healing is more of a process of um, turning inward, going deeper, exploring your internal world, going into those deeper um, emotionally painful places and developing an awareness. And in that awareness, there is an, an organic release of um, the emotional tension that resides there as well as the the tangled and problematic thought patterns and, and cognitive patterns that exist there. And with that release, there's an automatic reintegration process that kind of brings you back into a state of wholeness so that you can once again go deeper. When you say wholeness, what comes to mind is uh, this idea of having a balanced life. Do you connect those two concepts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, wholeness integrated integration implies to me balance. All the parts of the whole are working together to create a homeostasis. And when you say parts, those parts, Dr. Michelle, do you also use those words uh, body, mind and spirit or soul or only body, mind? Oh, absolutely. Body, mind, soul, spirit. Interestingly, you know, when, when I'm speaking to you and I'm answering these questions, my mindset, I have one leg in the the, psycho the world of, this, of psychology, my psychologist. So I'm thinking all of the different parts of the self or parts of the nervous system. And then I have another foot in this sort of more, you could call it spiritual or, or uh, abstract sense of being that that has to do with the body, with the mind, with the soul. Um, I think for me, when I'm talking about one, I'm talking about the other. I think it just depends on what hat I'm, I'm wearing. Yeah. Right. Um, so. So it depends. Yeah. And speaking of the spirit and the soul, what would that be? That's a good question. Um, I, when I know that they're often used interchangeably. And yeah. for me and my own, when I, when I speak, I often use them interchangeably, but when I think about it, um, I think of the soul sort of in, in my body, in my, in my gut, it grounds me to the earth. Um, and it carries the wisdom of, of my life, the, the wisdom that I, that I came here with, the wisdom that I have gleaned in this life experience. Um, it has the blueprint for my plan here. It's, uh, it, it lives within me and my spirit is a part of me, but it connects me to the other realm, if you will. So they're connected, but they operate differently. That's kind of how I conceive of it in my, in my mind and in my lived experience. So being authentic, is this something that one moment in time that happens and now we know we are authentic from now on, or it's a practice for life? I believe it's a practice for life. Um, I, I think that, again, putting on my, my psychology hat mm -hmm. and I think of the clients that I work with and, and myself included in that, um, that we have our true, true self or our, our authentic self, but then we also have what is often called a false self, or as I like to say, an adaptive self, that part of us that had to adapt to certain um, circumstances or environments so that we could thrive or survive or maintain our psychological integrity. And so I'm a believer that these adaptive parts of who we are, they contain um, uh, grains of our authentic self. It's like we, we use our strengths that, that come from our innate person and we use those strengths to adapt to certain situations, but oftentimes they can morph into a self or a part of ourselves that feels separate from who we are authentically. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. So is this uh, movement, this constant dance? Yeah. Right. The stance between both and really the work of becoming whole. Um, and this parallels what I what I kind of address in my book, although just using very different language, um, because our our fear can cause us to adapt in particular ways. Um, but when we explore the part of ourself that has uh, adapted to certain environments and how those adaptations uh, influence our nervous system response, our physiology, and how that then influences our perception and and then our how that our perception then influences our body. When we explore that process in this adaptive self, the more we come to know who we are. Um, and those authentic parts of ourselves in that part self, and that we can then reintegrate that back into our whole self. It's, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. It made sense in my head. I don't know how it came out. Um, but that it's, it's that process of knowing these different parts and how they contribute to the whole. Yeah, I love the process of getting to that point. <laughs> yeah, trying to understand ourselves deeper. And I wonder, what makes us, drives us to do that? I, I tend to believe that that's, that's the X factor, right? Like that's that, that mysterious piece. Like why does, why is one person so driven to that end while another person isn't? And I, I honestly don't know when I think as a psychologist, I think of course of nature and nurture, and there's this sort of co-rising of both. But when I slip into this world of, of more, I guess, esoteric spiritual thinking, I do believe that the things that we came here with uh, on a soul level are creating, um, uh, they influence that process. Like when, when and why does the soul or the human being move towards this healing and exploration and why does one not and how much of that is linked with the reason why the person is here. And really at what point in this journey does that part of them activate? Sometimes it becomes alive in them much later than it does for others. Right. So it's, it's a great mystery, at least to me. What do you think the purpose of the human experience or experiment is? <laughs> um, again, I feel so unqualified to answer these because they're, they're, um, they are products of my own personal experience and my, my own musings and the literature that I read. Um, but I guess I also see this when I work with my clients because I often, I, I wonder that, that always. And, and for me, I do believe that the human experience is, um, is available to us to evolve our souls, quite simply put, that we come here to learn and to evolve. And evolve to me means ascend to move closer and closer to that, that energy, whether you call it source or the universe or God. Um, it really is, I think, to move in that direction. And, and earth <laughs> and the human experience is designed to that end. I mean, that's simple, simply put. Yeah. Um, that, I don't know, what does it mean to you? I am, I'm curious. When you say that some people say returning home and that always uh, when I question that, so what is home really? And then with divine force going, getting closer to God, whatever name we give it to it, source. Right. Uh, and then it always comes back to love. Most people right. say that. So it's unconditional love. I, I, and for me, that unconditional love is that energy, that source energy. And again, whatever you choose to call it, that's home. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's, you know, to, to sort of add that to what I was saying a moment ago, the evolution is the movement towards love. What lessons have you learned in 2020? Question one. And the second is, do you have a vision for a new reality, a better reality? Holy cow. <laughs> Let's see. What lessons have I learned in 2020? Um, I suppose it's the enduring lesson that I'm always learning, which is um, I am not in control. <laughs> <laughs> that that is an illusion that surrender is an ongoing practice and 
Um, and I would say for me, even more than that, the greatest lesson that I learned in 2020, which again is an enduring lesson for me, but seemed to be preeminent is patience. Um, I, patience is not always among my virtues. Uh, in some areas it is, but in others it's not. And it, for me, it's really about allowing divine timing and not pushing that and um, being and having faith in the process. So that for me has been my greatest lesson in 2020 that I think I will carry with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and as far as a vision of a better future, I do. I feel very hopeful that there is this sort of, uh, and again, this this really strays from my, you know, I have one foot in the science world as a psychologist, but I blend that um, with my spiritual leanings and my interest in, in those things. And then sometimes, depending on the client that I'm working with, I work with a lot of people who are, are very spiritually oriented, but mm. but not everyone. So I'm very careful. I don't always bring that um, into the room. Yeah. But for me, I think there is, I think there's a great turning, a turning towards love to, to keep that theme going. It doesn't seem or feel like it right now, which, um, what is that expression? Like just, it's darkest just before the dawn. And it can feel very much like that. But I have a lot of hope both in the things that have happened to me strangely in 2020, as well as the, the changes that I've seen in my clients, you know, in the beginning during the pandemic, um, the majority of my clients were, were rattled as was the majority of, of humanity. And it was remarkable to see how the pandemic was an impetus for deeper work that really invited them to look more closely at the things they had been avoiding that they had just sort of been toying with, but didn't want to look at too, uh, too up close. And they kind of had no choice if they really were to honor that part of themselves that wanted the change that they said that they wanted. And these remarkable shifts started to take place and they made really big decisions in their life that they hadn't and I'm thinking of several right now. That's why I'm, I'm saying they. It's not just one or two. It's it's quite. There's a, a several in my in my practice who made choices um, that really changed their lives and set them up for the future in a way where they wouldn't regret having not made those decisions. And they are hopeful about what's to come. And they have so far these these choices have paid off very very well for them unexpectedly of course because you know we their expectation was based on on their historical experiences of fear and things not working out for them and and all of those things so i guess this is a long-winded way of saying that i see it both for myself and in my clients that there are important shifts happening despite this backdrop of um unrest yeah both you know, socio-politically with the pandemic, all of those things. But we need things to crumble in order to rebuild them. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? It's, uh, it's funny, you say free and I think of liberty. I think um, uh, for me, the term liberation resonates for whatever reason in this moment when you say that. And there is a freeing of, huh, I think it means several different things. In this moment, what's coming to my mind is um, being liberated from old paradigms, old ways of thinking, old ways of seeing, old ways of doing, and being released from those old patterns to create new ones, but that are um, influenced by hope and possibility and love. We go back to that. And I'm not sure why my mind oriented to that right now, but I had this, this image of just sort of uh, being released from chains and set free and free to create something new, whatever that is, whatever inspires you in the present moment. I absolutely love that. Love, love, love a thousand times, if you could say it here. <laughs> of course. 
Thank you. You're asking me questions that I, I think about and use in my inner world. And I sometimes, of course, talk about, I have a, a very dear friend who I love to have these kinds of conversations with. Um, in fact, a group of women that I meet with regularly, but not so regularly that I talk about this stuff often. Mostly it's just an internal dialogue. So to speak with you about it, I feel somewhat unprepared insofar as I, I don't talk about it regularly, but I think about it regularly. So I'm kind of speaking off the cuff, but with something that I love to, to a world I love to live in. So I love that you're so open to it and asking me these questions. So how did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and also intention of writing your book, Mindful Somatic Awareness for Anxiety Relief? a body-based approach to moving beyond fear and worry? So I, I've always um, written throughout my life, but I've never considered myself a writer. And interestingly enough, the opportunity to write this book uh, came to me, um, which was a great honor. And I, I had an idea, and then working with uh, my editor, who also had an idea. We had very similar ideas um, about what this book would be about. And it, the intention was really to, um, to bring awareness to the mind-body relationship, but outside of the realm of trauma. Uh, trauma, mind and body work is very is heavily linked with trauma, but not everybody identifies with trauma, but everyone identifies with anxiety. Um, so the intention was to write a book um, that would reach a greater number of people and invite them into the world of my body and to lay the foundation for understanding that relationship so that they can then um, so that they can then develop a practice for that in their own lives as it relates to their anxiety and minim minimizing it, mitigating it, and um, again, living more deeply and authentically without fear. I never thought about that. That's an interesting connection, trauma and anxiety, of course. Yeah, it has to do with fear, right? Yes, exactly. And fear of uh, a chronic nature, as well as anxiety that can be triggered very, very quickly uh, without awareness of why, and then uh, an inability to settle it. Uh, and to come back into a place of regulation where just sort of you remain in this this chronic buzz, this in, internal low-grade buzz. Yeah, would you say that um, anxiety, it's always caused by traumas or it could be something else? I would say it differently. Um, I would say that anxiety, well, first of all, there is the kind of anxiety that is a, a natural reaction to what's happening in the present moment. For example, like yeah. the pandemic, when when the coronavirus was first identified and we were aware that it had reached a level of a pandemic, anxiety would be a natural reaction to that. And one we would welcome because we would want to stay vigilant and we would need to mobilize in, in the face of this threat just in case. Yeah. Um, but when it doesn't settle, that's when it can become problematic. And that's when you want to look to see what historical experiences have you lived through that have overwhelmed your ability to respond. Um, your, and I should say more specifically, overwhelmed the ability of your nervous system to respond, where you felt uh, that there was a threat and it was bigger than you were and you couldn't um, mobilize a defensive response. And so, uh, and it would result in some unforeseen adverse uh, reaction and sometimes actually did result in that. But what ends up happening is if it's not an overt or really obvious experience, such as assault or um, a car accident or going to war, if they're more emotional experiences when you're young and you don't remember them, you tend not to think that they're having any influence on your present ability to regulate your nervous system and your fear response. And so that's why it's important to do that, go deeper. And if needed, search for therapy. That's really helpful. Yeah, that was my case for many, many years. And I didn't know the anxiety was coming and I had no idea why. And then, yeah, I did therapy, not for too long. 
And then I remember one of the key lessons that I learned from that therapy, I think three times that I talked to the psychologist was acceptance. And that was me saying to her, really, you know, I need to accept this <laughs> as it is. Um, this is an interesting experience. And that changed everything. So that's interesting how the subconscious can uh, help. So you had your, you realized you had to accept the experience. Yes. And was that the experience that you had that was causing the anxiety? Yes. Yeah, it was the full acceptance of that. Right? Got it. It changed everything. Wow. But then, I don't know, this is a different, like you said, we're all unique, we're all different. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the same approach, right, for all of us. And it's such a mystery how the mind works. Right, right. Yeah, how one person, I mean, you can have, I mean, take my family, for example, or any family. I adapted very differently than both of my brothers. Right. Um, so, and, and that has to do, of course, with the order that we were born, the mm. first one versus the last one, right. and <laughs> as well as our nature, as well as our personality and how our parents interacted with each different personality. And then there is that mysterious X factor um, that I call it, that, that comes into play that determines why not only did I adapt the way that I did, but then the work that I did afterwards um, to do some healing. Yeah. And that's when we might call mystery or perhaps right. the, that's the movement toward love. But, right. Oh, which I love to believe that, that this is, um, that's what's happening when we become aware that everything's connected, that there's no separation, then love arises. It's and it's a natural, um, yes, natural. Uh, thing that just comes up. Right. I remember my therapist had told me, and he was quoting someone, um, and I'm going not to, I'm not going to get this <laughs> right, so I'm not even going to attempt to quote it exactly. Um, but I remember when I was moving out, I was doing some deep trauma work, and I was moving out of it, and I had a real sense of peace in my in my body, and I was feeling so deeply grateful in a way that I'd never felt before. I had an intellectual awareness of gratitude and I knew that I was grateful for all of my many blessings, but it wasn't a fully embodied experience. And I be once once the trauma and the fear resolved in my body, I began to feel the gratitude. And that's when he 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 said this quote and the 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 message that this essential message of the quote was once fear is removed in a natural emerging of gratitude comes into place. It's just a natural thing because you no longer have to live in fear and con constriction. Your body isn't contracted. You're not always worried. You come into a place of relaxation and openness and receptivity. How did you choose or why did you choose to become a clinical psychologist? I didn't. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. yeah. I, how do I want to say this? I, it was, um, it was guidance. Mm -hmm. I knew, yeah. I actually wanted to go into the sphere of uh, environmental protection. I had gone to Humboldt State University for my undergrad and I was a true hippie. And I, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to save the earth. I, I wanted to, <laughs> wow. and I did, I actually, yeah. after I graduated, mm -hmm. I worked for a brief time for an environmental protection organization. But when I was up there in the beautiful splendor of the redwoods and the ocean and just the spirit of being up there is, um, it's so you can feel the interconnectedness and it's magical. And I was walking through the forest and I, had a thought that wasn't my thought, if that makes sense. I, I was, I literally, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a psychologist. And I, at that point, I, I didn't know, oh, this is going to sound weird. I'd been in therapy since I was about 13 years old. And uh, so I call myself a junkie. It's how I deepen my, at this point, do I need it? No, but I love it. I love going because I love the exploration process. And there's always another layer to pull back and to uncover. Um, but at the time, I had, I was still going to, to therapy. So I knew, of course, what a therapist was, but I hadn't, I didn't know the difference between a marriage and family therapist, a social worker, a psychologist. My therapist was an MFT 
um, which is a marriage and family therapist. But I had the thought, I'm going to be a psychologist. And strangely, I didn't even really know what that was. To me, that translated in, I'm going to do therapy. Uh, But I could have done a number of different degrees that would have allowed me to do therapy. Um, But there it was. And I and I said to myself, I'm going to I'm going to be a psychologist. But first, I have to do this environmental stuff. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. I did it for about six, eight months. And Uh and in the meantime, I applied to um, a, a program to earn my doctorate in psychology. And, you know, in telling the story, it sounds like it was just my thought, but it it wasn't. It came out of the blue. I had it. The energy of it felt different. It wasn't my energy, but it was, I was so certain. And it was like, okay, done. I don't need to worry about that anymore. Yeah, no doubt. And then I did it. Yeah. And also it's funny about protecting the environment or going that direction, but now um, you are protecting the environment by going inwards. Oh, I love that. Yeah, right. Well, in in connecting people to themselves and to that, that the love within, which is the love without, which is interconnected, it does engender um, an awareness of your, your interconnectedness with all things and therefore your relationship with them and how you you treat them and, and all things and them being the earth in general and the environment and nature. So you're right, I guess, indirectly, I am saving the environment. Oh, yeah. The most powerful <laughs> and all way. of us right. light workers who are doing this work, really, yourself included. Talk to me about the how it works, the mindful, I love the words you use mindful. So mindful somatic awareness. Is this a therapy that's done with you? Or we can do this on our, our own? It's it's a practice designed for uh, individuals to be able to do on their own. It's a, it's it's like a meditative practice, but it incorporates um, a reflective component. Oftentimes, in meditation, you're really trying to release the mind and stay in the present moment and in awareness um, of depending on how you meditate, but with the mindful somatic awareness, a focus on your body. So it's bringing attention to your somatic self and staying there. Um, But then it incorporates a piece of reflecting on your thought process. And I I use in the book an acronym called SOAR, Sense, Observe, Articulate, and Reflect. And that is a, a, a step-by-step guide to achieve mindful somatic awareness. So it's the sensing and observing is, is um, engaging the right hemisphere, um, which is to say engaging the body and just being present non-judgmentally with the sensations and the vibrations that you're experiencing in your body self. And as you become more aware and sit more comfortably with those sensations, you then bring your attention to um, the, the thoughts that are occurring. So then you have articulate and reflect. So articulate begins to bring the left hemisphere online, um, which is uh, the language centers are in the left hemisphere. So you're, you started out in the body with the right hemisphere and, and living in that space. And then gradually you bring your thinking mind into the equation, but still in a body focused way, because you're articulating the sensations that you're feeling, you're just saying them out loud. So you're still in the body in the present moment, um, with the left hemisphere coming online. And then gradually, you invite the reflection, which is, why am I feeling this? What just happened in my body? What just happened externally, that my body is now responding to? Um, so it invites a reflective process that is often missing when you get triggered. When you're in a state of anxiety, it's very quickly, uh, you're, you're operating on instinct and impulse. You, you, it's very easy to quickly respond to um, a thought or an impulse and then go with it. Whereas when you slow the body down and you reflect on what just happening, you're allowing yourself to think through and to resist acting on impulse. And it can deepen your awareness of what's happening in your autonomic nervous system because what's happening in your body influences what's happening in your mind. And then what's happening in your mind influences what's happening in your body. So it's this cycle. So mindful somatic awareness slows that process down and opens up a dialogue to ask, 
what am I feeling in this in my body right now? And how is it impacting my mind and my perceptions? And how and what is it that I reacted to? And is my reaction necessary or is it is it reflective of something else and not really what's happening in the present moment? Right. So it just slows everything down in addition to bringing you into contact with that mind-body process. I love that, this approach, bringing mindfulness, uh, slowing down, which is basically that. So we are able to see clearly what's happening. That's funny because um, a lot of people that I talk to, including myself, have agreed with this idea <laughs> that love is the opposite of fear. Fear is the opposite mm -hmm. of love. Would you say that, that this is, it makes sense to you? It does. In fact, when you say that, I remember, um, how do I want to, because I don't consider myself a religious person and, and I, yeah. I always hesitate to use the word God because I know it doesn't resonate with everyone. It's yeah. connected to, um, to, uh, religion and, and dogma and those sorts of things. But I think whether, you, I think we can all agree, most people agree that we have free will and, I've heard it said that free will um, is the choice to choose love or fear. And I, I really, I, that resonated with me uh, <clears throat> because I, I do believe that when we, when we make a choice, it can actually be distilled down to those two, two things, but very, there's gradations. Of course, it's not always that simple. Uh, and, it can be more complex than that. But the thing that comes to my mind when, when we think of, of free will and choosing love or fear is that when you're in a heightened state of anxiety, we often don't have free will, <laughs> which, uh, and right. people don't understand this. Um, the mm -hmm. nervous system is designed to hijack uh, the, the fear response, I should say, when there's a, a threat or danger that is perceived, the nervous system is designed to keep you alive. So it will take you into a defensive posture and it will hijack any higher cortical thinking, which is to say that part of our brain that um, thinks critically and makes choices and resists impulse, that goes offline. It's designed to because it would interfere with our ability to survive. Um, so when the nervous system is in a heightened state of fear, we don't always have access to the choices uh, that that we would otherwise. Our, our body acts independently. Um, so we can't choose. But for me, the way I look at this um, is that once the nervous system settles back down and we're, we're in a state of, of relative regulation, even if we still have some sympathetic energy moving through our body, uh, which is to say we're still in a little bit of a defensive posture, but but also anchored in that heart-centered place and, and more grounded, um, we have more access to to free will and to make choices to, to help heal ourselves so that we can know when we've been hijacked by our fear so that we can minimize um, those the, the effects of that as well as reduce the occurrence of it. Which goes back to the question of healing that you asked me earlier. I think that's part of the healing process as well, is that it when we're able to go deeper and deeper, we have more, mm. and we do that deeper healing work, we have more control over our nervous system. Um, and yeah. uh, we're no longer hijacked by, or, or less, how do I want to say this? We have more control over our nervous system and not so sensitive to external cues that will uh, trigger a fear response and therefore um, remove the option of having choices. That makes so much sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, good. And for me, one of the, the practices was acceptance. That really slowed down everything and, and the nervous system just calmed down most of the right. time. So in accepting it, was it, I'm curious what for you, what was it in the accepting that allowed you to sort of release the grip and, and the fear and bring you into a place of, um, I guess, calm? Yeah. Um, wow. That was a release of the acceptance of lots of things. 
from past experiences as a child to my relationship with my ex-husband, it was just a chain of so many things that I was holding on to too tight. The ideas, those old beliefs that was causing a lot of suffering. I was able to see that. Like, oh, I'm holding on to this. That's what it is. And then once I was able to I, I say accept, but it might be also surrender. Just surrender yeah. to what happened. It's okay. It was just different. Um, yeah, this right. is life. We cannot rehearse life. No. And life <laughs> includes everything. <laughs> the good, the bad, everything. Right. So, yeah, that kind of understanding really changed everything. Hmm. And and coming into acceptance of that. So you could release it and move on. Yes. Yeah. And then was it became a practice for everything, not holding on to pretty much anything, not even the good, the bad, just being in the middle pretty much all the time, but with emotions too, with a lot of love, but not, yeah, not holding on, not grasping too tight right. to anything. Right. Now that you say something that's interesting to me because um, not holding on to anything, including the good, like everything yeah. is fluid, everything um is always changing. And it reminds me the of movement. that. Uh, yeah. All it's, yeah, it's, it's all movement. movement. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing that you had that experience. It, it's sort of like it just clicked in your head. What does it take for this to happen to some of us, this shift in perspective? I don't, I don't know. I've heard it said that that is between uh, their soul and God, or that energy, whatever you want to call it, that it's, it's their own soul's process. And I have to practice that often as a therapist. Um, when I'm sitting across from my client and I'm like, get there, get there, <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. come on. Yeah. And I have to let it go. And, and it yeah. really brings me peace to know, cause I believe mm. deeply that their soul is in a process. Right. And I cannot learn their lessons for them. I can't yeah. push them. My job is truly to create a safe space yeah. for them to have this process at their own pace, th their own divine timing, and to um, hold up a mirror when necessary to provide guidance if they, they ask for it or if I right. feel that it could be useful for them. But to really allow their soul mm -hmm. to get there and have their own aha moment at their own pace. Yeah. And that is love. <laughs> and that is love. Yeah, it is unconditional love. Right. And you just happen mm. to have it very quickly on your own. Well, you have that, that determination within you that operates in that way. Yeah, I guess is uh, the word we can use is that that honest wish to change, to be happy or to be well, perhaps to right. do something. Yeah, it's, it was very honest, that desire to to experience like this life in a peaceful way. I love that, an honest desire. Yeah, to be peaceful, yeah. Right. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I would like to read a passage in my book, actually. It's... Yeah. Um, uh, it's one of the favorite things I wrote in this, my favorite things I wrote in this book. <laughs> I feel weird saying that. I'm like the professor who uh, what, who wrote a book and then assigned it to his class to read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but this passage, I think for me, reflects, you know, going back again to that same, that question that you asked in the beginning about who am I? And I think this really reflects that hope and belief that I have. And I, I wanted to lay this down in the book, um, because for, uh, for anyone who decides to move more deeply into their internal world to explore their emotional pain and the source of their fear and anxiety, it can be a very daunting uh, journey. It's not always clear, and sometimes you feel a lot of doubt and uncertainty and confusion, uh, punctured with moments of really beautiful light and clarity. Um, but when you're in the, the throes of it and the deepness of it, it can, it, it, you can, you can pause and go, what is, what am I doing? How do I get out of this? What's, what's happening? And it, it can be discouraging and actually in, in, uh, increase your anxiety. So I wrote this, the last chapter, chapter 10 to help with that process. And I'd like to read just the first paragraph of that's okay. 
Okay. So the chapter is titled Anxiety and the Healing Journey. Uh, and it begins, the decision to work through old unresolved fears to relieve your anxiety is really a decision to evolve and transform. It is a decision to turn inward, to examine your inner life, and heal the deep emotional wounds that hinder the organic unfolding of your authentic self. From this place of honest reflection and vulnerability emerges insight and understanding that release you from fear and, and guides you in the direction of your highest, truest self. The mindset needed to facilitate your evolution of self is one that embraces what I believe is a dynamic paradox at the core of the healing journey. That is, healing enables the organic unfolding of your authentic self and at the very same time, it is the organic unfolding of your authentic self. Healing is the co-arising of what is, you as you are, and what can be, the you that you can become. Just like the oak tree contained within the acorn, your highest self is contained within you. The decision to heal sets the intention to become your greatest self and releases the energetic potential to, to facilitate that becoming. And at the very same time, you are becoming your potential in each and every moment, you are perfect and exactly where you need to be. To know and accept this paradox that you are both perfection and perfection becoming creates a mindset that infuses the healing journey with a sense of hope and trust that all is well and as it should be. A reassurance that is sorely needed during what can often feel like a forbidding and uncertain process. Embracing the dynamic paradox at the heart of the healing journey helps facilitate a rich, transformative process and keeps you afloat when the weight of the inner work feels too heavy to keep going. Wow. I love that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that speaks to my soul. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Dr. Michelle. Yeah. Thank you for your beautiful, natural, you call organic wisdom your oh. work, everything, your presence. Thank you. Wow. Oh, and thank you, Valeria, for for the work that you do, for, for reaching out to me and giving me the opportunity to have this conversation with you today, as well as for spreading the spreading the joy and the information to help others achieve their highest self um, and, and being and providing a platform for others to help to help others do that. This is the sort of helping platform to reach lots of people. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've never, I've never, I can say this, I, I, I feel weird things. I, I've never experienced regret and I am very at peace with where I am presently in my life and I hope that I don't die soon because I have plans <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm happy with the choices that I've made to bring me to this place um so no yeah. huh. what are three things about life you know for sure as of now um hmm that's three things I know for sure. This is going to sound so cheesy. Uh, I know that I be I believe love is the creation of all things. Yeah. Um, and I've experienced that, which is is how I I know it. Um, I know that I know for certain that we all, you know what, I think I'm going to end with that. I think that's the one thing from which all other things emanate. Mm -hmm. So whether I know three things for certain or 10 things for certain, mm -hmm. I think the one thing I know for certain from which all other things emerge is mm -hmm. that love, love is the source of all creation. Yeah. Oh. Yes, a billion times, <laughs> trillion times. I, if I could pronounce the other one, I, I would. Well, I was going to say, as I stare at my dog who's mm -hmm. sleeping yeah. on, on the chair next to me, I know for certain that he's the most adorable thing ever. Yeah. And, and yeah. <laughs> in this moment, I know uh -huh. that, but that's a source of love. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just 
the heart connection with this beautiful creature. Yeah. Um, it's, it's love. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, so I have two websites. I have my professional website, uh, drmichellebloom.com. That's D-R, and my, D-R, my first name and my last name. That's Michelle with one L. So I should probably say <laughs> I have two websites, uh, Dr. Michelle Bloom, D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-E-B-L-U-M-E.com. And that's my professional website. And it has information on about my book on that website, as well as uh, the work that I do in my private practice. And then I have another website for my book called MindfulSomaticAwareness.com. And there you can learn more about my book. There is a link uh, where that you can where you can purchase it, um, that will take you to where you can purchase it. And there are also um, meditation exercises and recordings uh, on that website. So if you're interested in the book, um, but want to learn more about it before you purchase it, which is what I typically do before I, <laughs> I purchase a book, uh, you can go there and you can get a sense of the exercises, of um, the content of the book and, and the aim of the book, and then determine for yourself if this is a purchase that you want to make. Wonderful. I'll have those links too on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Dr. Michelle. Ah, thank you. Wow. Thank you. It's been so wonderful speaking with you. Oh, no, I love your presence. <laughs> so, thank yeah. you. Likewise. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Michelle L. Bloom and her work, please visit drmichellebloom.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.